everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Listen, do you have questions? We know the answer. The Beller Student Ministry Podcast exists to equip young followers of Christ to know the Bible, to understand their faith, and to confidently share it with others. Thanks again for tuning in. And now for this week's episode. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most well-attested fact in the history of the world. I'm not afraid to say it. I'm not afraid to believe it. And I believe that the burden of proof lies not on the Christian or the believer, but instead, it lies on the enemy's side. We have an abundance of proof that shows us that what we believe is not only reliable, but it's logical from the abundance of evidence that we have. Where do we start? How do we know Jesus died? And more than that, how do we know he resurrected? Well, I'll show you. I believe the best place to start is the Word of God. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.16 that uh, all Scripture is theopneustos, God breathed. All Scripture is given by God. This is the Word of God. So I I believe that you could start anywhere because the book of the Bible is all about Christ. Specifically, though, regarding the resurrection of Jesus, I believe the best place to start is in Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, the Old Testament, Isaiah 53, 4-5. I believe the best place to start is to look back. Isaiah 53, 4-5, speaking, prophesying of Christ, the servant, the Messiah. It says this, verse 4, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He died on this cross. Upon him, that's Jesus, was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Isaiah wrote this hundreds of years before Christ came to this earth in the form of man. Fully God, fully man. Christ came to this earth hundreds and hundreds of years after this was written. Isaiah prophesies about this. And lo and behold, it did come true. So that's the best place to start, I believe. It sets the basis for what we are to believe about Christ looking back. When this was written, they were looking forward to the Messiah. When Jesus came, they were in the presence of the Messiah. And now, in the year 2022, we look back and read about what the Messiah has done for us and see how he operates in our daily life. The proof is in the pudding. Isaiah is the best place to start, in my opinion. Really, Genesis But Isaiah really, really drives it home. So we stay in the Bible and we can move to the New Testament. All four Gospels record the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Matthew 27 through 28, Mark 15 through 16, Luke 23 through 24, and John 19 through 21. All of those chapters record the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. There's a very, very unique testimony that John adds to his gospel in the end of it. John 21 verse 24 says this, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. In other words, he's testifying about everything written in John and the crucifixion, resurrection, all of those things. And we know that his testimony is true. I find this one very interesting because at this point when John's writing this gospel, he's writing in about the year AD 90 or in the 90s. At this point, he's the last living apostle. 
Paul had been beheaded, Peter had been crucified, and the rest of the apostles all died martyrs' deaths. But John was still living. And for him to say something like this, this is the apostle who has seen these things, he's written about them, we know he's telling the truth. It's a very risky thing. He could still risk persecution by writing this. And he carries out this mission and says, no, this is true, and I'm willing to put my life on it. So John adds that unique testimony, and all of the Gospels attest to the crucifixion and resurrection of our Lord. But it doesn't just end there. Aside from the Gospels and aside from the Old Testament, we have the writings of the Apostle Paul. Apostle meaning sent one, somebody who has seen the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Um, And he writes about the resurrection in the book of 1 Corinthians. It's not a gospel book, but I like to call it the gospel of 1 Corinthians. Uh, It's clear, it's concise, and it really shows the believer that what we believe is credible. Paul gives us this evidence in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 9. It's very telling. And it says this, I'll read it for you. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 9. This is Paul. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. See, keep in mind, he's, he's in the Scriptures he's talking about. He's talking about the Old Testament. Scriptures like Isaiah. Scriptures in Genesis. The prophets. Verse 5, And he, that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more, this, this, is one, this is one of the most important verses right here. Verse 6, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, some have died. Then Jesus appeared to James, then to all of the apostles. Keep in mind, James, Jesus' brother, was not a believer in Christ until he saw him, and Jesus appeared to him. Verse 8, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Important verse here, verse 6. Again, he says, he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, some have died. What Paul has done here in this scripture, verse Corinthians 15, verse 6, is he has made the resurrection of Christ falsifiable. In other words, what Paul is saying is, listen, this did not happen in a corner. This did not happen just between a small group of individuals who concocted this story, made it up, so that they could gain things like money, riches, wealth. It didn't happen that way. Paul says, no, this happened not only to all of us, the twelve and the people living in in Israel, Jerusalem, but it happened to 500 people, brothers, at one time. Some of them have died, but most of whom are still alive. In other words, what Paul is saying is, listen, if you don't believe me, you can go ask these guys, and they'll tell you the same thing. Paul has made it falsifiable. If you don't believe Paul, go ask these other people. They'll tell you the same thing he's saying. And that's one of the most, it's really an encouraging scripture to me as someone who has struggled with um, questions just as far as how do we know what we know. This one has been very beneficial in my life and it's really helped me to understand that what we believe has credence. We can believe it. 
and it makes sense. Now, we have this abundance of evidence in the Bible, and I believe the Bible is sufficient. We don't need anything else outside of it. Um, although some, some pieces of evidence might be beneficial, the Bible is enough. Um, obviously, though, people are going to be antagonistic. They're not going to automatically assume the Bible is God's word. They're not going to believe it. They might have a certain predisposition to it. Um, and so with that comes theories against the resurrection. This is all too common, and the, the theories against the resurrection, although they may seem intimidating, intimidating, they're not new. These aren't things that have just recently been concocted to come against our Lord Jesus Christ. It's just been... Um, People just find new ways to portray the same argument. I'll show you right here. Matthew 28, verses 13 through 15. Listen to this, and then I'll explain. It says, uh, actually, we'll just start in verse 11, 11 through 15. It says, while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. Keep in mind, Jesus has resurrected at this point. Verse 12, and when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers that were watching, Je watching Jesus' tomb and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we'll satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and they did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Jesus has resurrected. The guard has no answer for it because they do not believe. And they understand that letting a prisoner go or, or uh, abandoning your post and letting something like this happen to you as a Roman guard, well, they knew they faced execution if they were to be blamed for it. They knew they were in deep trouble because Jesus has resurrected. They had no explanation for it because they weren't believers. So they went to the chief priests. They went to the Jewish officials. And what did the Jewish officials say? The enemies of Christ, they said, Tell the people the disciples stole his body while you were asleep, and we'll give you some money for it. And something unique that Matthew adds is, at the end of verse 15, he says, This story has been spread among the Jews to this day. This is not a new story. This is what they have been saying from the outset. The funny thing about this theory is that it falls apart at the beginning. The chief priests tell the guards to tell the governors and the people that um, were curious that the disciples stole his body as they slept. The funny thing about that is, how do you know something like that happens when you're asleep. As far as I'm concerned, when I'm asleep, I'm unconscious. <laughs> I'm dreaming. I'm in my own world. I don't know anything that goes on around me as I sleep outside of what's in my brain and what I'm dreaming. I don't know what goes on on the outside. They concocted a story that falls apart like that. It crumbles. And it doesn't work. So that falls apart. There's another theory that I want to discuss. Um, and I don't want to talk too much about all of the theories, but I think it is important to be aware of the uh, theories out there. And two of the most prominent are stolen body and this one, hallucination. Hallucination. People say that the, the disciples hallucinated and they merely just dreamed and saw Jesus appear in front of their eyes as if they were just desiring to see it. And so they thought it 
to make it happen. <laughs> the funny thing about this one is, is that it doesn't work either. Um, John, in his gospel, uh, adds a very, very interesting and unique verse in John chapter 20. Verses 8 through 9, John says this. This is a follower of Jesus, the beloved disciple. He laid on Jesus' breast at the, at the Last Supper, very close with him. And he says this in John 20, verses 8 and 9. They had been to the tomb, and it says, Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, this is John, he's speaking of, of himself in third person, he also went in, and he saw and believed. Now this is the verse, pay attention. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. What does this mean? In other words, John was ignorant of the scripture that Jesus had to resurrect. He didn't know. The disciples were unaware of this this event that must take place. So for them to hallucinate an event that they were ignorant of doesn't make sense either. It crumbles like that. Those arguments aren't built on solid ground. And they fall apart. Another thing that goes against the theory of hallucination is that too much time has passed for them to hallucinate the event. Matthew, uh, or I'm sorry, it's, it's, we're still in John, John chapter 20. Um, well, actually, hold on, let me get my sources right. It is, yes, John chapter 20, 26. Um, too much time has passed. Like I just read, John goes into the the tomb. He says he believes because he saw, even though he didn't understand the scripture and he was ignorant of it until he saw the empty tomb. Too much time has passed for them to hallucinate the event. Jesus has resurrected on the third day. The disciples go out and they're telling their their tight-knit community as of right now. And not only that, they tell the apostle and disciple Thomas. Many of you might know him as Doubting Thomas for this reason right here. The disciples tell Thomas, and then they, Thomas says, unless I see it, unless I see the, the, the scars in his hands and his side pierced, he won't believe. Well, John goes into further detail, and he says that um, eight days later, a Jewish, a Jewish um, way of reckoning a week, a week passes, and then John writes this in John 20, verse 26, Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And then this is the important part. He says, although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Why were the doors locked? They were afraid of persecution. They were afraid Jesus, their leader, had just died. They were ignorant of the scriptures until just now when they saw the empty tomb. They're trying to make sense of all that's going on. The doors were locked. They knew they could be persecuted for this. The doors were locked. A week had passed. They were figuring out the scriptures just now. And Jesus appears to them. And he appears to Thomas. And he shows them the things that Thomas had been desiring. The the nail-pierced hands and the injuries that he accrued while on that cross. The last thing that goes against the theory of hallucination is um, the apostles' desire and willingness to go into Jerusalem and preach the gospel where they knew they would be persecuted the most. 
typically among people who um, do not tell the truth, know that they're lying, know that they're concocting stories. Um, whenever they come up with this with a story like this, they normally take their group of followers and move them out away from the city where they faced the persecution. You look at people like um, Joseph Smith. He was in New York. He was beginning his Mormonism uh, following. And he moves from New York, and he moves to Missouri and Illinois, and then he finally lands in Utah because he was persecuted. He did not go back into the place where he uh, developed this belief. Instead, because of the persecution, he left. I believe he knew it was false. But these disciples, knowing that it was true, went back into the place where they would be persecuted. Acts chapter 2, verse 14, Peter is preaching in Pentecost, at Pentecost. Um, all who dwell in Jerusalem and Judea, he is preaching to these people in Jerusalem. And then, and then in Acts 4, the, the disciples are arrested and then they're beaten for their beliefs and they considered it, they, they, were, they counted it joy because they were considered, um, they were just honored to suffer dishonor for the name of Christ. They went into the city. They did not leave to tell them of the truth of what they had just experienced. It's easy to see why these theories against the resurrection fall apart. There's many more, and due to time constraints, we can't discuss them all. But these are just a few, and you can see how they fall apart. Now, like I said, the Bible's God's word. The Bible's sufficient. We do not need anything else aside from the Bible to show that our beliefs are true. But I do believe that outside sources do enlighten, and they do help us in our understanding. A few outside sources that I would just love to mention are um, come from sources close to that time period. Suetonius, Suetonius, a Roman historian, said that the Jews were expelled. The Jews were kicked out of uh, Rome in AD 49, the year 49, about 15 or so years after Christ had died and resurrected. And he says that they were expelled at the uh, expelled because of a man named Christus. He spelt it C-H-R-E-S-T-U-S. This was a common slave name in the Roman uh, area during this time period. And basically, he says that the emperor Claudius made the Jews leave because the Jews were talking about whether or not Christ was the Messiah. Apparently, it had caused an uproar, and Claudius, the Roman emperor, just said, hey, Jews, you need to go. And so, Suetonius records this fact. The gospel was spreading. The resurrection was being discussed. Another article that I uh, found comes from the, uh, uh, another historian named Tacitus. And he talks about Emperor Nero, the, the evil uh, Caesar who uh, was very vile. And uh, he was very antagonistic to the belief of the Christians, our beliefs. I want you to listen to what happens in Rome and what Nero does about it and who suffers the most because of this. This is an article from Tacitus, an ancient historian. He says this about Nero and the Christians. But all human efforts, all the lavish gifts of the emperor and the propitiations of the gods did not banish the sinister belief that the conflagration was the result of an order. Consequently, to get rid of the report, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most ex exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations, called Christians by the populace. 
Christus, from whom the name had its origin, this is Tacitus referring to Jesus, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our, one of our procurators, Pontius Pilate and a most mischievous superstition, thus checked for the moment, again broke out not only in Judea, the first source of the evil, but even in Rome, where all things hideous and shameful from every part of the world find their center and become popular. In other words, the gospel spreading. It's because of Christ. The, 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 the Christians are, are spreading the word, and it's broke out. And Tacitus says it's broken out in Rome. In the last part of this article, he says, Accordingly, an arrest was first made of all who pleaded guilty. Then upon their information, an immense multitude was convicted, not so much of the crime of firing the city. In other words, Nero blamed the fire of Rome on the Christians. Um, not so much of the crime of firing the city as of hatred against mankind. Mockery of every sort was added to their deaths. Covered with the skin of beasts, they were torn by dogs and perished, or were nailed to crosses, or were doomed to the flames and burnt, to serve as a nightly illumination when daylight had expired. Our Christian brothers and sisters suffered at the hands of an evil emperor who blamed the fire that he started on them. And they died for it. They were mocked for it crucified, covered in wild beast skin, thrown into the fire because of the, their belief in Christ. The gospel was spreading. The resurrection, the knowledge of the resurrection and the death, burial, and resurrection and ascension of Christ was spreading. And our brothers and sisters in the first century were willing to die for it. There are many other Jewish sources out there that discuss the, the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Josephus, ancient Jewish historian, mentions it. Plenty of the younger writes to Emperor Trajan in the year 100 that uh, the Christians sang hymns to Christ as to a god, and he did not know what to do with them. There, there are many, many sources outside of the Bible that show that what we believe is credible. As we close, I would just like to say this. The burden of proof for the Christian does not lie on the Christian. It lies on the person who says that everything that I just mentioned is false. If you ever come into contact with people like this, or if you yourself are suffering with or just wondering about these beliefs, I would just ask, why? Why? I personally believe it takes more faith to believe the opposite is true. It takes more faith to believe that this is false, that these sources are incorrect. It takes more faith to believe that than it does to surrender your life to Christ and just say, Christ, I believe and trust in you. Our Christian brothers and sisters were persecuted. They were killed for their belief that we hold so dear and near to our hearts and are just free and able to believe in the country that we live in. The resurrection of Christ and his death and his life are attested to in history, in our daily lives, and we will see that what we believe now has credence whenever we come to the point where we look at Christ face to face and he wipes every tear from our eye, as John says in Revelation. Thank you for listening. I pray this helped you in your walk with the Lord. and. Uh, I pray that this will help you out, whether you're listening now when this comes out, 
years from now, as it sits in, in YouTube. But thank you for listening. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for uh, these listeners. Thank you for the people who desire to know more about you. And thank you for the people who just have questions. And um, Lord, I pray that this episode really helped them understand their belief. I pray that, um, Christ, you would illuminate their minds. I pray that they would turn to the Scripture with questions about you rather than the world, because the world, uh, John says, uh, friendship with the world is enmity with God. Or the Bible says that. I believe it's James. But st- even still, Lord, we know that you are true, and we know that you love us, and we know that your testimony is true. Lord, forgive us of our sins, and I pray, Lord, for the person listening to this. I pray, Lord, that they would come to the knowledge of you, and if they do believe, I pray they would grow in their knowledge and love for you day by day. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name. Amen.